Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. So happy to have you with me here tonight. You know it's Tuesday, so JC is not here. He is off doing his school thing. I'm wearing the Liberty Addict t-shirt that you can get at chrisannhall.com right now. Get it now. Woohoo! Who doesn't want to be known as a Liberty Addict? And it's a beautiful shirt. Uh, it's just it's just really, really, really awesome. Thank you, everybody, as you come in for hitting the thumbs up, like button. Thank you, Mark Taylor. Already, Mark is setting the stage with a super chat helper donation for the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Thank you, Mark. Uh, greetings to everyone in our YouTube chat room. Greetings to everybody in our Facebook chat room. And greetings to all of the, those who are listening to us on uh, on podcast. So happy to have you. I promise you we're going to talk about the judiciary today, about executive agencies, about administrative courts, and we are going to get to that. I am totally, totally fired up for that. But I wanted to, you know, I like to give you guys, uh, you know, little boosts of encouragement as I'm able to and as as they come across my my way and so many times where I go I see people who are discouraged <clears throat> about our younger generation now remember the the media the media millennials are not the entire population of that generation as a matter of fact just like everything in the media they take a small portion they take molehills and turn them into mountains how's that Mole Hills, oh look at that, I still have my, we went to the Salvador Dali Museum today. <laughs> I still have my, my Dali wristband on. No, Chrisanne hasn't been on a bender and forgot to take off her, her uh, wristband at the rave. We went to the Salvador Dali, uh, part of a field trip for homeschool, to the Salvador Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, not Russia, but Florida. And so, uh, anyway, the media millennials, are the mount, mount, molehills turned into mountains. And we travel all over the country. We see people all over America, and we see young people all over America. And I just thought that I would take a moment today to introduce you to a few and let you see some of the people that have blessed our hearts. Now, the first one I want to introduce to you is Sarah Blackman. This is Sarah Blackman. And Sarah <clears throat> was a student, Blackman, M-O-N. Uh, Sarah was a student of mine at, at the uh, Bama Carey class that we had at the state conference, Bama Carey, where we talked about red flag laws and guns. And she is a fantastically bright young lady who loves liberty already. I want to share with you a picture that Sarah drew. Uh, this is her dad's Facebook page, I think. Sarah drew this and it was run in the opinion section of the Selma, Alabama paper. 
And I want you to notice what we have here. We have a young lady being heckled by a crowd of of gun-grabbing liberals. Look at she's carrying right here in Alabama. She's open carrying. I want to try to make this smaller maybe so you can see it a little bit better. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. I don't know why this isn't working for me, but we'll, we'll take care of this. I want you to see the whole picture. There you go. Alright, there is Sarah's picture and it says to a girl Sarah Blackman this is her the way the gun grabbers in Alabama make her feel now I want us to recognize something maybe Sarah is too long too young to write an editorial for her newspaper but instead she drove a picture which is this picture hello people is worth more than a thousand words we don't want your kind of rights in America the anti-gun grabbing liberals are talking about and it, you know these kids they see this they hear this they know this and they're out there they are out there doing and speaking and living with their peers and we're giving them a boldness because with with knowledge comes virtue virtue is the courage and we're giving them a boldness to stand right this is the future of America let me just show you one more time this is the future of America right there that is the hope of liberty for America and Sarah gets it she absolutely gets it so I have hope I don't live in despair I don't live in depression I don't live in any of those things I have so much hope number one because I know history and I know that liberty is a gift from God and history proves that liberty never sleeps forever never sleeps forever so here's another one I want to introduce you to look at this girl is she not amazing she's 11 year old 11 years old she brought her loaded AR-15 to a gun legislation hearing in Wash in, in Idaho as Idaho lawmakers discuss gun legislation a grandfather brought his 11-year-old granddaughter with an AR-15 rifle into to in, in tote to the Capitol, according to the Washington Examiner. Now that face right there looks very, very familiar to me. I wonder if I have seen him in one of my classes. And if I've seen him in one of my classes, then I have probably seen him, uh, seen his granddaughter as well. Her name is Bailey, and guess what her grandfather said? She is carrying a loaded AR-15. How cool is that? A loaded AR-15. Listen, this is the wisdom that we need to start speaking because he says, he says, people live in fear, terrified of that which they do not understand. 
Bailey has been shooting since she was five years old. She got her first deer with this weapon, with that AR-15, at nine, and she carries it responsibly. She knows how not to put her finger on the trigger. We live in fear in society that is fed fear on a daily basis. Uh, just, just look at this. How is it that this is a scary thing when an 11 year old can responsibly handle this gun? How can you call this a weapon of war when an 11 year old can responsibly fire, manage, and carry a loaded firearm? Not only that, apparently she's pretty good at, pa in, at, at packing in a deer for you. See, I tell people this all the time. They simply don't get it. Part of my parental responsibility is to ensure that, that my child knows how to keep and bear arms. My son has been shooting since he was four three, four-ish. And he is an amazing shot now. I mean, I, he's better than most adults that I know. How is it that I, as a responsible parent, cannot decide that my child is responsible enough to carry? Can I just scare all the snowflakes out there? My 13-year-old, by my choice, would carry a firearm by my choice today, would carry a firearm. Rich is in the, in the audience right now. Rich has fired with my son. Rich knows that my son is a formidable force, a responsible carrying uh, a young man. And not only that, he would carry so responsibly that he would never, ever, ever allow anyone to take his gun from him. No. No one's taking a firearm from my son. Because that's the argument. Well, you know, maybe your kid knows how to carry it, but you put him out there with a gun and some adult's going to take that gun from him. Not my son. Am I right, Rich? Not my son. Nobody's taking a gun from my son. And I'll tell you what. I trust my life with my 13-year-old armed more than I trust my life with 95% of the police and deputies out there. Number one, okay, number one, my son loves me. He has a personal relationship with me. He has a personal investment in me. And in that, I'm part of his four fundamental God-given rights. I am part of his life liberty, property, and therefore the defense of me is essential to his four fundamental rights. I trust my son with my life more than anybody else out there uh, except maybe my husband and my pastor. Those people would protect me with their lives without a question. <laughs> Rich says that Colton shoots better than he does. And, and that's, that's not... That is not hyperbole. That is not exaggerating my son's skills. And as a 13-year-old, well-armed, well-trained, 
My parental choice is, I don't care if he's 13 or 35, he's carrying around me. Why shouldn't I be given that parental right to choose? Oh, but Chrisanne, not every adult is responsible. Not every adult is responsible with their child. Come on now, people. We don't live in a society, or at least our society is not built on the premise that, hey, guess what? We, good people don't get to do things because all bad people make them bad. The bad apple spoils the basket. That's not how we work. That's not how it's supposed to work. Oh, I wanted to share with you, I have the greatest students. One last thing before we move on to the issues. This is John. John's in upstate New York. This is just my little proof to you that not everybody in New York is a snowflake, a liberal, or a, not even a social liberal or a, or a fiscally liberal. This is John. John lives in upstate. And I love it. I, I so appreciate it when you guys lift me up and encourage me. With that, John says, uh, my constitutional guru, invite her to your town. You will learn more than you can imagine. More importantly, he says, people in your zip code will too. This is how the word gets out. This is how people learn who we are. We, we, we don't have a big budget to do media. And frankly, even if we did, I don't know that I would want to do, uh, spend a whole lot of money on advertising and that sort of thing. We, we have better things to spend our money on. We rely on you guys, and there's no better advertisement than word of mouth. So I wanted to share with you, I'm sure you've been seeing it in the news, uh, Sotomayor uh, blew her gasket, right? I don't know if you saw this. Sotomayor, Supreme Court Justice, blew her gasket uh, in a what they're calling a savage defense. Uh, the Obama, according to Trending Politics, the Obama appointee ripped the court's conservative justices who she accused of being little more than rubber stamps for Trump's policies. Yeah, right, right. Come on now, people. Uh, she said that the conservative judges, quote, put a thumb on the scale for Trump. Now, here's, here's the thing. Uh, the, court, the Supreme Court lifted an in, uh, the last remaining injunction barring enforcement of the public charge rule, which withholds green cards from migrants dependent upon government aid. So let me, let me talk to you about this public charge rule. Now, the public charge rule is part of the uniform rule of naturalization. So if you want to be a citizen of the United States, one of the first steps to becoming a citizen is to get a green card, okay? And to get a green card, you have to meet certain criteria. When we talked about the New Way Forward Act, remember, the New Way Forward Act wants to remove criminal charges from the criteria of getting a green card. So if you've been convicted of a crime of moral turpitude, which is, remember, murder, rape, robbery, um, uh, there's a couple of other things, theft, theft, things that, that show a, a moral degradation in your values, right, moral turpitude. The New Way Forward Act wants to pull those uh, those 
those bars to getting a green card. Right now, if you have a conviction for a crime of moral turpitude, you automatically do not get a green card and you don't get to stay here and you don't get a visa. Well, the new way forward would eliminate that so that people with convictions of crimes of moral turpitude can get green cards, they can get visas, they can come and stay here. So people with known, let's just say that, people with known criminal records will, uh, if the New Way Forward Act is passed, will now be eligible for green cards. Well, one of the criterias for, ha for getting a green card is that you can't be dependent on government aid. We don't want citizens who come in dependent on government aid. Why would we, why would we gather more citizens on the dole who are addicted to government aid, who have no, no desire to get off government aid, right? If you get off government aid, then you can get your green card. But as the, as the public charge rule stands, if you're getting government aid, you don't get a green card. Now let's just pause. Pause for just one second. You shouldn't, as a non-citizen, be getting government aid. Okay? Government aid is a misnomer. There is no such thing as government aid. It is aid paid for by the tax dollars of citizens. Aid paid for by the tax dollars of citizens ought to be exclusively, exclusively a benefit of citizenship. We ought not be giving aid, financial aid, to non-citizens. If you want to be a citizen, and you fall on hard times after you become a citizen and you need aid, then you can get aid as a citizen. But because aid comes from tax dollars, we ought not be giving, it, it ought to be seen as a benefit of citizenship and we ought not be giving aid to non-citizens. Now that makes me an extremist in the mind of a snowflake. But if you're out there paying your taxes and you're, you're, let me just put it as blunt as I can, suffering the penalties of citizenship, then why should people who are not bound by citizenship get the benefits of citizenship? I think that's just common sense just flat out common sense. So the whole idea that we're giving out aid to non-citizens is something that should not be happening from the get-go. So here's what happened. Let me explain to you what happened. The DACA side, just for lack of better terminology, the DACA people, the Let's make everybody, uh, you know, regardless of dependency, regardless of criminal background, regardless of disease, whatever. Let's make everybody, uh, everybody the same. Those people filed a lawsuit to keep 
the uh, public rule charge, the, the public charge rule from being applied. Okay? So this whole thing has not been legally settled yet. They filed a lawsuit and said, we want an injunction to stop the public charge rule and we're going to fight in court to make that happen. Now what happens is when somebody files for an injunction, the people that the injunction would apply to file what they call a motion for stay pending resolution. Okay? So what this does is says, okay, they file the injunction and the motion to say says, okay, let's not enforce the injunction until due process has had its day and the court gets to hear everybody's side. And then once the court hears everybody's side, due process has its day, then the court can rule on the injunction and then we'll be good. Don't just, don't just enforce the injunction based on a complaint. Let's have due process. Okay, so that's what happened. The stay, the court issued a stay on the injunction and said, we're not going to force the Department of Immigration to abide by the injunction until due process is complete. Now, Sotomayor has lost her mind over this, okay? She has lost her mind that due process gets its day. She has lost her mind that the Supreme Court says, in majority, hey, we're not going to be enforcing injunctions until we hear from both sides. We're not going to be biased towards the injunction. We want full due process. We're going to issue a stay on the injunction until we can hear the whole case. And Sotomayor loses her mind because we're actually following due process. She says, claiming one urgency after another, the government has recently sought stays in an unprecedented number of cases demanding immediate attention and consuming our limited resources in each. And with each successive application, of course, it cries its cries of urgencies ring increasingly hollow. It's hard to say what is more troubling, that the government would seek this extraordinary relief seemingly as a matter of course, or that the court would grant it. I'm just, I'm just absolutely stunned. I'm absolutely stunned. Number one, what else does the Supreme... Here, let me, let me put it this way. If the Supreme Court stuck with Article Three cases, instead of sticking their noses in all kinds of stuff that simply does not apply to them constitutionally, then they would have time and resources to deal with the things that actually pertain to them. For example, Roe v. Wade and its like cases Cases that involve people in the state against their state are outside federal jurisdiction. They're not Article 3 cases, people. Go read Article 3. 
Article 3 of the Constitution delegates power to the court, the federal court system, and our founders specifically excluded internal legal affairs from federal court jurisdiction. So if you take out all of these cases that the Supreme Court keeps looking at that don't fall under Article 3 jurisdiction, then Sotomayor has absolutely nothing to whine about because cases that actually involve, can we get this? Cases that involve the federal government are actually their job. So in reality, Sotomayor is whining about having to do her job. According to her, they don't have enough resources to handle the cases they're actually supposed to be handling. So why in the heck are they handling hundreds of cases they're not supposed to be handling? I mean, I'm just asking a question for a friend. Not only that. If you look at the court system, this just blows my mind. Claiming one emergency after another, the government has recently sought stays in an unprecedented number of cases. Do you know in the civil world, and I guess in the criminal law world, when an injunction is filed, the person the injunction is filed against nearly 100% of the time, unless it's agreed upon, unless they submit, unless they concede that the injunction is warranted. When there is a discrepancy, when there is a disagreement on the application of injunction, 100% of the time the other party files a stay. Why is it unprecedented that the opposing party for the Supreme Court would file a stay? When the parties in the rest of the legal world, when they have a problem with injunctions, 100% of the time file for a stay. Now the stay is not always granted, mind you, but 100% of the time when there is a disagreement on the application of the, of the injunction, a stay by the, by the party is filed. So I don't get what Sotomayor has her panties in a wad about claiming an unprecedented number of, uh, of stays being requested. Come on now. We should be requesting stays on everything that we don't agree with, period. Nathan Carroll, thank you so much for your super chat support today. Racking up those super chats, we so much appreciate you. Maybe Nathan sent that over to calm me down so I wouldn't be so animated. But this stuff really ticks me off. What ticks me off is the court system is doing what it's not supposed to be doing and then complaining about having to do what they're actually supposed to do. What else are you freaking getting paid for, Sotomayor? And now people are mad because Trump is tweeting again. Trump is tweeting that, that Sotomayor must recuse herself from every case that involves him because she has a bias against him. I'm going to tell you what. The justices on our Supreme Court should be recusing themselves with the exceptions of one or two or three all the time. 
Alina Kagan should have recused herself on everything that had to do with Obamacare because she was the Solicitor General that defended Obamacare. And then she sat on the Supreme Court when it was actually being decided by the Supreme Court. Come on, now that is clear-cut conflict of interest. You've got Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or the ghost of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, speaking out publicly on her political opinions and then sitting in judgment on cases that directly conflict with her political opinions. Clear-cut conflict of interest. And for Sotomayor to have her head explode over what is substantially standard judicial procedure proves, I hate to say it, proves that Donald Trump is absolutely right on this. So let's just be clear about something. This is not an issue that Sotomayor should be putting her panties in a wad over. But the fact that she is shows us her political bias. And I bet it's not just a Trump bias. I bet it's a, a bias uh, against the enforcement of immigration laws. I mean, I think, I, I think bottom line is she does not want this. I mean, she's the first Hispanic and Latina woman to sit on the Supreme Court. Could that be that her personal interests are actually getting in the way of her constitutional judgment? I mean, seriously, she thinks it's an inconvenience to even hear the case. When that's her job. Seriously, if, if, if it's too much trouble for you to do your job, Sotomayor, I can come up with at least a half a dozen people that are willingly fill your position that would do a whole heck of a lot of better job than you are doing. And they certainly wouldn't be whining about doing their job. Come on, this is not even a legal case for Pete's sakes. So I'm, I'm, I'm just done with these people. Let me read to you what Thomas Jefferson wrote. The great object of my fear is the federal judiciary. That body, like gravity, ever acting with noiseless foot and unalarming advance, gaining ground step by step and holding what it gains, is engulfing insidiously the special governments into the jaws of that which feeds them. H how much clearer can you absolutely get? I mean, we have become that. With, with Joseph Story's rewriting of the Constitution into a federal and judicial supremacy, we now have these people ruling over us and now complaining about doing their job. All right, so the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about was the... Uh, Uh, is the the um, dissent by Thomas in the we talked about it a little bit yesterday the Harold Baldwin v United States case now this has to do with executive regulatory authority 
and this is a really big deal, okay? This is the deep state. The executive regulatory authority is the deep state. They write laws and you did not elect them. They issue unreasonable fines and penalties, cruel and unusual punishments, and you didn't elect them. They are judge, jury, and executioner. And worse, they're lawmaker, law enforcer, judge, jury, and executioner. They are their own entire system and there is no check and balance. Their check and balance was was dissolved. Okay, let's just be clear. First and foremost, I hate having to do this every time I do this, but I just want to make sure I do this. This is absolutely unequivocally a fact. 99% of the executive agencies that exist today, the regulatory agencies that exist today on the federal level, have no constitutional authority to exist. I just want to let that sit in there, okay? You, somebody is asking about how, how do you, you help us. Uh, Nathan Carroll says he boycotts PayPal. And, if I want you to know something, Nathan. We started the new thing today. So if you're watching us on YouTube, go down into the summary part. There's a link where you can donate. It will take you to, to our donate page. And we started brand new today. Brand new today. You do not have to go through PayPal to donate to us online. You can go strictly through credit card if you want to donate to us without using PayPal because I know so many of you hate PayPal okay so we we have actually established a new way for you to not have to go through PayPal and you can always donate to us through our PO box as well PO box 26 Wellburn Florida W E L L B O R N Wellborn Florida 32094 so there that's the way that you can help us but Rest assured, Nathan, we've heard your cries. You do not have to go through PayPal anymore. It may look like you're going through PayPal, but you're not going through PayPal. You don't have to have a PayPal account or anything. You can just, uh, you can just donate through there. And so we, we thank you and we, we, share your, we share your frustration with PayPal. We really do. So did that sink in? 99%. 99% of the executive agencies out there have absolutely no authority to exist, period, okay? So when you compound the fact that they don't even have an authority to exist with the Chevron case, those are my, my legal eagles out there, the Chevron case, that came through the Supreme Court in 1984 that a government agency uh, must conform to any clear legislative statements when interpreting and applying the law but courts 
will give the agency deference in ambiguous situations as long as its interpretation is, are you ready? Reasonable. Not constitutional. Reasonable. I want to say that again. A government agency, right, your regulatory agencies, this is what the Supreme Court decided in Chevron v. NRDC in 1984, and this has been, this is, this is where we lost our minds, okay? Where we lost our, this is where we actually gave our executive agencies a blank check. I'll, I'll show you how it works. So, in the Chevron case, which created that dun 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 precedent, okay? I'll, I'll show you what it is right here. Let's put it up here. Chevron v. U.S. establishes a government agency must conform to any clear legislative statements when interpreting and implying a law. But courts will give the agency deference and in, in ambiguous situations as long as its interpretation is, do you see that there? Reasonable. Notice it does not say constitutional. Reasonable. Now we should know, long-term Liberty First listeners, the definition of reasonable. Reasonable. Are you ready? Reasonable means what a reasonable person would find reasonable under reasonable circumstances. That's what the Supreme Court says. The definition of reasonable is what a reasonable person would find reasonable under reasonable circumstances. Well, there you have it. That clears it up like mud, doesn't it? Now let me explain to you why this is a blank check. All right, I'm going to put this back up there so you can read it while we're doing this, okay? Remember, the agency must conform to clear legislative statements, but the courts give the agency's deference in ambiguous situations. Since 1984, since 1984, since this Supreme Court issued this precedent, legislative acts have become, uh, legislative acts that regard executive agencies, let me just be clear and specific in that, legislative acts that involve executive agencies have become increasingly more ambiguous so that the bureaucrats make law and the legislators don't have to have the responsibility of that job. You hear me say it all the time. Shirking responsibility, avoiding accountability. It is the Chevron case in 1984 that gave our executive agencies a blank check to rule and reign over the people with unlimited power because the court says when the law is ambiguous then the agencies get to fill in the blanks. Number one, it used to be 
that ambiguous and vague laws were per se unconstitutional. Prior to 1984, it used to be vague, overbroad, ambiguous laws were null and void in the eyes of the court. Chevron comes along, the court says, nope, sorry, we're not going to follow the vague, ambiguous, overbroad rule anymore. We're going to allow unelected bureaucrats to whom the people have no control, we're going to allow them to fill in the blanks. So then nothing is vague and overbroad because not only do they get to fill in the blanks, we, the court, is, are going to defer to whatever they say. Right? Whatever they say. I, I, I don't know what to tell you about that. The checks and balances, you always, uh, you've heard this ad nauseum lately, especially from Nancy Pelosi, right? Checks and balances, checks and balances, checks and balances. As a matter of fact, in Sotomayor's temper tantrum, she talks about checks and balances. The Supreme Court has the audacity to talk about checks and balances on issues when they don't like them and then to completely relinquish checks and balances against the executive branch. Completely relinquish checks and balances. We will completely defer. And this is what... Thomas is upset about. So the case in um, that we're talking about today, the uh, Howard and Carol Baldwin v. U.S., the terms of this case are absolutely ridiculous. It is, it is hard for me to even talk about this out loud. Seriously. Hard for me to talk about this out loud. Let me, let me read to you what it says here in BloombergTax.com. The Supreme Court rejected a case involving the producers buying the 2004 movie Ray about the life of a musician, Ray Charles, involving their fight with federal uh, officials over the rule for assessing the timing, timeliness of tax filing. Howard and Ken Karen Baldwin petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court for a review of their case, arguing the IRS owed them a tax refund of about $168,000 because a regulation related to the timely mailing requirement under the tax code, Section 7502, supplemented rather than replaced the mailbox rule. Now, let me tell you what the mailbox rule is, okay? The mailbox rule, and this is standard across legal board, the mailbox rule says that if you put something in the mail, there is a rebuttable presumption that the document was delivered on time if you have proof of proper mailing. Right? So it's a presumption 
that it was delivered on time if you keep proof of mailing the document. Now you can rebut that with other proof, but there is a presumption that it was mailed on time. So they mailed their tax return under the mailbox rule. The IRS says, nope, sorry, we didn't get your tax return on time, so we're not going to pay you the $168,000 tax return that you are owed. How fancy is that? I bet the IRS wouldn't accept any excuses if you owed them $168,000. I know, a matter of fact, they wouldn't. We've talked about cases where the, where the IRS has come and seized people's property without any due process whatsoever over a claimed debt of a third of that. Remember the dry cleaners we talked about that owed the IRS $33,000 and they just marched in and sold everything out from underneath them. They were dressmakers and dry cleaners and they sold everything out from beneath them on pennies on the dollar. IRS agents buying the stuff that they were selling for pennies on the dollar because the people owed them $33,000 and they had a check for them in the parking lot but the IRS wouldn't take it, they just sold their stuff. Civil asset forfeiture, they call that little piece of tyranny. But these, the IRS, according to their tax code, okay, they're not robbing the IRS. They're not showing up at gunpoint robbing the IRS. They're actually under law, under the tax code, entitled to $168,000, and the IRS's lame excuse is sorry we didn't get it on time. And because we don't have to follow that on time, right? Because now the rule is, uh, we, we now have a new tax code section, 7502, that, that, that supplants this, right? They're changing the rules as we go along. And so the Supreme Court, based on longstanding precedent, Okay, so, so Howard and Ken, Karen Baldwin petitioned the Supreme Court Oh, in a case involving the IRS, which would mean this is actually an Article Three job for the Supreme Court. This is actually one of the cases that they ought to be taking. The Supreme Court said no. Okay, so they couldn't get enough justices to say we'll take the case. Now we don't know who didn't take the case. We just know that they didn't get enough. They don't have to have a unanimous decision. They just didn't have enough judges that said, okay, we'll take the case. So the Supreme Court refused to take the case. And Clarence Thomas writes a scathing, now you didn't see this in the liberal news, writes a scathing dissent on the fact that the Supreme Court would not even hear this case. Now I want to read to you just the last portion of Thomas's dissent because this is, this is all based on Chevron, right? Because the IRS changed their rules. The legislation made an ambiguous act in the, tax, in, in the Tax Act, which means the IRS bureaucracy can go in and change the rules as they're going, 
okay? And because of Chevron, the Supreme Court is supposed to defer to that. Now there's an even broader expansion of executive power under a case called Brand X. And Brand X is the one that that ought, that the Supreme Court majority is relying on in denying this case, right? So remember, let me repeat this. Chevron says, the courts will give agencies deference in ambiguous situations as long as its interpretation is reasonable. Brand X says that even if there is a long-standing precedent for what the administration has said, if they change their rules along the way, then we don't hold them to the long-standing precedent. We allow them to make it up as they go along. How cool is that? Here's what Thomas says. Regrettably, Brand X has taken this court to the precipice of administrative absolutism. Under its rule of deference, agencies are free to invent new interpretation of statutes and then require courts to reject their own prior interpretations, right? So Chevron says we will defer to the agency's long-standing preference. Brand X, which is another Supreme Court case after Chevron, takes Chevron to the next level, Chevron on crack, that says, okay, it doesn't matter what the long-standing interpretation was, you can invent new interpretations to meet your needs at this moment, and we just have to go with it. This is tyranny, people. This is your oligarchy. Your oligarchy are your regulatory agencies creating law without legislative authority. Why? Because it's legislation without representation creating fines, taking property, ordering people to go to prison. These are all things that only laws ought to be able to do. And Article 1 says the legislative branch has the sole lawmaking authority. And yet we have here, first in 1984, the Supreme Court authorizing executive bureaucrats to make law and then come along later in Brand X and say, you know what, we're going to let you make it up as you go along and the courts don't have anything to say about it. He says, Brand X, Tom, Justice Thomas says, Brand X may well follow from Chevron, but in doing so, it poignantly lays bare the flaws of our entire executive deference jurisprudence. Even if the court is not willing to question Chevron itself, at the very least, we should consider taking a step away from the abyss by revisiting Brand X. And they couldn't even get the court in, an, in enough people to even hear the case. The Supreme Court of the United States joined hands with IRS bureaucrats and allowed them to rob Howard and Karen of $168,000. Now I bet the IRS took a whole lot more from them than $168,000. That's just what the IRS was supposed to give back to them. All because of a stamp. Right? And that's the bottom line. 
a stamp. Because the IRS claims they didn't get the notice that their return in a timely manner, they don't have to pay them anything. What happens if somebody, I don't know, somebody you may know, filed taxes in 2010 in which the IRS claimed was insufficient paperwork, denying that person over $5,000 in a tax return. Then two years later, the IRS sending that person that you may or may not know a letter saying, oh, our mistake, you have the right paperwork. And yet, the IRS has never paid a dime of what it owes to that person you may or may not know. Do you suppose the IRS will eventually pay that person or not? Do you suppose the IRS, if it will pay that person, will actually pay them interest on that $5,000 for nine years? $5,000 plus for nine years? Do you suppose the IRS pays penalties, uh, imposes penalties on itself when it doesn't pay people what it owes? See, this is why the executive agencies are your oligarchy. They, they don't have to follow the rules. And the Supreme Court has taken up deference to them. I mean, just simply saying there's no, there's no check and balance whatsoever on this part of the executive branch. That ought to be outrageous to people. Absolutely outrageous. And yet here we are. I mean, seriously, I, I, I want to know. I really, really, really want to know. Of all the things that we've asked President Trump to do, of all the things that he's agreed to do, why aren't any of them involving civil asset forfeiture, the elimination of these regulatory agencies, the, the, the elimination of their authority in lawmaking? These are the things that really make a difference. These are the things that change people's lives. This is your tyranny in America. This is your standing army. Our founders did not go to war over their, with their government over a tax on tea. I'm so sick and tired of seeing that in our textbooks. They didn't like the stamp tax. They didn't like the tax on tea. So they said, we want independence. It's, it's just a stupid premise to begin with. And it's not factually supported by anything. It's stupid because the king repealed the stamp tax. He repealed the tax on the tea before we ever went to war. So how can we claim that our war for independence was over a tax on tea 
when it didn't even exist anymore by the time we were fighting. See, this is part of what we teach at libertyfirstuniversity.com. If you don't know libertyfirstuniversity.com, if you don't have that education at libertyfirstuniversity.com, then what I'm saying to you might just be like for, foreign to you. Um, but so that's why you have to go, you got to go be a student. You can uh, go to chrisannhall.com. You can go to libertyfirstuniversity.com. And you can get the education that you need to stand up for these rights. So if it sounds strange to you that we shouldn't even be complying, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. I absolutely don't get it. So, we need to start educating ourselves, standing up and speaking out against these executive agencies. Because the reality is, it was not a tax on T. It was legislation without representation. It was mandated purchases. Denial of due process. Subjecting us to foreign courts and foreign laws. And the disarming of the people. Which was last, by the way. It's always last. That's why our founders knew they had to separate themselves from a kingdom. Not a tax on tea. It was not taxed enough already. It was tyrannized enough already. So... This is a problem. We've got to get our heads on straight. We've got to get our history upright. Because if we keep fighting in the wrong direction, we're never going to get to the right solutions. That's why I'm glad you guys are joining us today. That's why I'm glad you're with us. I'm glad you like the education that you get. Let me answer just a couple questions in the chat room right here. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what happened. Somebody said that, that the post office box that we use was returned undeliverable. I can't answer that question. I get mail in that every single day. P.O. Box 26, Wellburn, Florida, 32094. Uh, Donna Croker asked, can we sign up for Liberty First University classes through the mail? Yes, there's a way to do that. We actually just did that yesterday, uh, a few days ago for somebody. If you contact us through the website, uh, we can set you on the path to become a member of Liberty First University without going through PayPal. You can do that. I know people don't like PayPal, but we have other ways that you can do that. We are small enough and we're not a government agency, so there are always ways that we can help you. Always ways. We are here to help you. We're here to disciple. If, if it weren't for that 13-year-old that I love so dearly. Well, let me say that. I don't know if that's actually true. I was about to say if it weren't for the 13-year-old, I'd probably live on an island on Fiji somewhere. But I don't think that God would let that out of my spirit. I think I'm a fighter no matter what I do. And not only that, we are raising up generations of fighters. 
that will carry the torch for us? Who cares what the media millennials say? Who cares what the media is trying to tell us? You see, the media's currency is fear and division. Now let me read that again. The media's currency is fear and division. And I believe that's also the political currency. We've got to stop being afraid and we've got to start pushing back. And I mean really pushing back. Not just, I voted. Not just, I sent an email. No, I mean Virginia-style assemblies that move. It's not just enough to show up in the streets of Virginia one time. You have to take all those people and you need to move, make them into a moving force. Period. Well, thank you guys for joining me today. Um, tomorrow, I am flying out to Nevada and then on to California. And so um, I, I think JC is going to be doing the, sh the show tomorrow because I'm actually going to be in the air during the show. And then Thursday and Friday, uh, I'm going to try to do the show from my hotel room. So remember, guys, thank you so much for your time. Go to chrisannhall.com and get our uh, get your Liberty First gear. Uh, go, yeah, join Liberty First University. Get your gun shirt. Get your Liberty gear. Get your lots of Liberty gear. And get your brand new Liberty Addict t-shirt. Thank you so much, guys. Love you, and God bless. Mm -hmm.